You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to part two of this very special episode at the New York Library Association Conference. In this segment, we'll be speaking with Jill Hurst-Wall, who is a professor at Syracuse University's iSchool. Also, we'll be speaking with Carl Guevara, who is the uh, library director at the Seymour Library in Brockport, New York. And we're also going to be speaking uh, with Beth Latrop from Lathrop, I'm sorry, from the Strong National Museum of Play. So enjoy this section of the episode. Hi, we are back at the NILA conference with Jill Hurstwall from Syracuse University and Beth Lathrop from the Strong Library. Uh, not the Strong Library, the Strong uh, Toy Museum. The so- <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so enamored with it, I can't even say the name of it. It's the Strong National Museum of Play. And if you are ever in Rochester, if you go no place else, go to this museum. If, if you had a childhood at any point in your life and you played with toys, you need to get to this museum. We're, I'm still gushing about this place. I didn't want to leave last night. It was amazing. <laughs> so, um, so first, Jill. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. I don't know if you're really, really smart or really, really dumb for coming back. <laughs> um, I'll leave that up to your listeners. Okay. Yeah, don't leave it up to me. <laughs> so how you been? I've been good. What's new? Um, that's really a dangerous question. I'm just way too busy. Um, so what's new is kind of like, you know, what did I do in the last 24 hours, which was teach a class from my hotel room. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so I taught a live session last night from my hotel room, yay for hotel Wi-Fi, uh, that, that <laughs> held up for the hour and a half session. Other than that, starting to do some research around public libraries, which mm-hmm. would love to talk to you about at some other time. Oh, right, absolutely. Right now my mind is going a little bit like in the blah state uh, of being at Nyla for a day and a half. But... Um, uh, in terms of uh, the last 24 plus hours, just really enjoying NILA. It's a, a wonderful conference. It is every year. It's one of my favorite conferences to come to. There's the sessions that repeat every year are always good every year. Like the session, I, I still don't want to talk about it. Which, <laughs> yeah, which that's is a great one. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, it really always boils down to policy. Um, that's a great session. Um, there was a session yes, yesterday on open meetings law, mm-hmm. which can be a really boring topic, except the gentleman who uh, did the session from New York State government, amazingly, had a sense of humor <laughs> um, and integrated song lyrics into his presentation. As he's answering questions, he would be like, that's like the, the Rolling Stones song. You, you don't always get what you want. That's like, you know, and it was just, it was awesome. Um, and then the keynote yesterday morning. Yeah, that was fascinating, was, wasn't it? Was and riveting. Riveting. And someone said afterwards that it, there was no sound in the room for an hour. Um, the key, did you talk about the keynote yet? We did. We, we touched on it briefly about being from San Francisco and, and, and having the um, social workers in the library. Yes, yes. And the woman who is a health and safety assistant Associate, yes. I think is the right Hasa. title, Hasa. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer, her story was just amazing. And I think, uh, I don't know if anybody cried at the end, but I think everyone was 
on the verge of crying because it was such a... It was compelling. It was compelling. It was the pain and joy that she had been through, you know, the cycle of life, and then to have, you know, at the end, you know, what her life is like now is just, that was amazing. Yeah, it was very inspirational. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Beth. Yes? I, I'm speechless. Just just talk. Tell me about okay. tell it. It, I'll get, it, it I'll goes. I mean, we had a 20 minute conversation about big wheels and and yeah. kicking through the garbage dumps. Uh. Well, I'll just give um, sort of my typical summary of what the museum is and what I do because I tell a lot of people um, that I'm the director of the Library and Archives of Play, and they kind of like, but what exactly do you do? What does that even mean? Because Nobody really knows what. <laughs> so um, the Strong Museum, um, it opened to the public in 1982. Our founder was Margaret Woodbury Strong, and she um, was the only child of wealthy parents. Um, she was born in 1897. Um, she had a really unique childhood. They would, um, you know, schooling in Rochester and then schooling in um, California. And also, her parents would just take her around the world for a year or two. And uh, one of the things that they uh, gave her was she had one bag, and that was the only, um, if she wanted like a souvenir or wanted anything, it had to fit in the bag. So she figured out that she could get more bang for her buck with miniatures. So that's kind of started her um, interest in collecting miniature objects. And her parents had a lot of... Um, you know, interest in Asian art and um, book collecting and all sorts of um, interests. So then she um, gets married and she has um, one daughter. And um, unfortunately, both her daughter and her husband um, preceded her in death. Um, so she didn't have any heirs. And she sort of um, uh, then really took off with her collecting and she sort of amassed these large collections, dollhouses, dolls, she was into windmills, pretty much anything and everything, and um, started to, she had uh, a mansion in Pittsford, which is a suburb Mm -hmm. of Rochester, and she made a lot of modifications and sort of had these displays and would have let civic groups come in and use it as a fundraiser and the touring her collections. Um, So um, in 1968, she secured a charter from the New York Board of Regents for what she termed a museum of fascination. And so, but then she passed away a year later in 1969. And at the time of her death, she was the single largest stockholder in Eastman Kodak company. Wow. And that's 1969 when that was a lot yeah, of money. Was, yeah. <laughs> so um, they brought in um, experts from like Winter Tour, Colonial Williamsburg to sort of assess her collections and determine what they would, what, what, what would this museum be? Mm-hmm. And they all noted that she, you know, a lot of toys, dolls, um, you know, objects that are related to play, but they pretty much said that you, that's not an academic enough topic for you to have a museum of. So it was sort of American life yeah. from 1840 to 1920 with a focus on, you know, the effect of industrialization on the middle class. Something really engaging. Like <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's what the, so the museum opened in 1982. And then in the 
uh, later 90s, they started to um, to look at ways to bring in more um, children, engaged families. Um, that's when their partnership with the Sesame Street um, started. That's when you go in. That's one of the oh, yeah. Sesame <laughs> Streets right there, and that was really um, it was really popular. So they started to add more um, immersive and interactive exhibits. So in 2002, they acquired the Toy Hall of Fame. Um, so cool. Which is, um, every year we induct, and we just had it yesterday, the, the most recent induction, every year the museum inducts uh, about three toys, and they sort of, there's some qualifications. They have to, you know, sort of be classic, iconic, and, you know, still, still, still being played with today. So we just inducted um, Pinball, the Magic 8-Ball, and Uno. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Isn't this... So there's a whole ceremony <laughs> um, that's associated with that. And actually, a couple of years ago, um, we um, formed a partnership with the Toy Industry Association. So in our Toy Hall of Fame, it's now called the Toy Halls of Fame because we have the toys and we also have the industry professionals, sort of their Hall of Fame. So you can see both the um, industry professionals and the, the toys in the same exhibit. Then we had an expansion and started to add more more elements. So in 2009, we started the International Center for the History of Electronic Games, which we call ICHEG. And at this point, they have about 60,000 video games um, and video <laughs> video games, and also the, you know the consoles, the equipment, um, because it's not just the you know inbox games, yeah. but it's the um, the original console equipment, the handheld um, things, um, and also just electronic toys. So it's not only the video games and that, but also just, ele- that's why we call it electronic games, because it can be anything from a PC game to, um, you know, a game that you're playing on your iPhone. This reminds me of a gentleman in, Ro- in Syracuse, where I live, who has collected games and has one of the original Galaga Councils, wow, and uh, and some other things, and so these are things that you would find in someone's basement. Mm-hmm. That you know, someone had a passion, and and they have all the the the, the little cars, Max, Maxbox, Matchbox, Ma- Matchbox, yeah. yeah. Um, and to have an entire museum, I just want to like go and hide <laughs> in a corner. No, let Don't the think mu- I wasn't thinking of last night. I know. And let the museum close and then find your favorite council and just... <laughs> just play just it. Just play it, yeah. yeah. That's why I had asked if you had the E.T. game for the Atari 2600. I did not have time to check, but I'm sure no, that's okay. we did. You can send me an email. I will. <laughs> He'll be back. You'll yeah. be getting a package in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so around the same time that we formed um, ICHEG, uh, the library, which had been in the museum since it started, um, we um, renamed ourselves the Brian Sutton Smith Library and Archives of Play. So Brian Sutton Smith um, was one of the preeminent play scholars. He was from New, um, New Zealand and really brought the study of play as an academic um, subject to the forefront. So um, his most famous book is The Ambiguity of Play. Um, and we have his um, personal library and his personal papers as part of our collection. We also have what's called the Woodbury Preschool. It's a Reggio Emilia-inspired uh, preschool. It's similar to the Montessori type of, but it's you know it's a lot of free play, you know, observation, discovery kind of um, style of education. So... In, um, so yeah, so that's basically the museum. There's a lot more. We have tons of stuff. Oh, but God, yeah. 
<laughs> so the library and archives, we have about um, 200,000 volumes and about 2,500 linear feet of archives at this point. So, wow. <laughs> and we're pushing like probably two to three ter um, terabits of digital collections because a lot of the, the things that we're getting in now are um, born di digital. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so our collection is, um, it covers um, the objects of play, sort of, the, you know, the toys and games themselves, uh, histories of those things. We have um, magazines. We also dip into um, child development, child psychology, um, education, that type of thing. We have one of our most unique collections is our uh, trade catalog collection. So we have about 30,000 trade catalogs from the doll toy This is just fascinating to me. It's so fascinating. Industry. So these would be, um, if I was a toy store owner or a buyer for a department store, this is the catalog that would come directly to me as a buyer and I would determine what I would select for my, um, for my store shelves. We do have some commercial or retail catalogs that we call, that's like the Wishbook, um, the JCPenney that would come every year and the, like the Sears. Um, but uh, these toy trade catalogs, they are a really interesting resource to use because they document not only what toys were in production, some of them never made it anywhere, um, so because nobody, none of the buyers would would buy them, um, but also they represent a lot of companies that we that aren't in existence anymore. Like we have one that we bring out for for when we show people around. So at the time that you know Legos were out, there was also two or three other companies that were making pretty much the same. Prod product, but we don't play with American brick. We play with Lego <laughs> right. now. So there's, and there's a lot of research into like toys that didn't make it. So we made it this far in the development, and you know, then it, it's pulled the plug before production, or it's made mm -hmm. into production and very rapidly pulled from the shelves. So um, there's a lot of research value in what makes it versus what doesn't. And we have the other really unique on the library side collection we have is Playthings Magazine was the the toy industry publication for the doll um, the doll toy and game industry and it was published from 1903 uh, through 2010 and we have the most complete run in existence. Um, it is not indexed in any meaningful meaningful way. <laughs> so um, you it's when people come to research it's it's paging through page by page to see these. I mean, it has like, it's industry news and early on it's very quaint. It's, you know, the salesman of the month and he just married so-and-so and they're honeymooning at Niagara Falls. It was very, um, that type of thing. And then it, you, you see how the industry changes. It has, um, during um, World War One and World War Two. Um, it has, World War One. they had, the uh, sort of restriction of a Christmas giving policy. Oh, yeah. And so um, A.C. Gilbert, who's the inventor of the erector set, sort of formed this, uh, this contingent of, of toy manufacturers and went down to Washington and appealed to the council that, you know, to let people give toys as Christmas gifts. And so he has this whole speech about how it's, you know, important for child development, it's important for the economy, and then he has his... his um, 
uh, you know, the, the toy people hand out toys to all the council members. So they all play with something and, you know, get all nostalgic and then say, the toy industry must be preserved. So then they were cleared for, you know, for the, it was the curtailment of Christmas giving. So the toys were an exception to it. So there's this whole article about that. And then it also, you know, articles around um, during World War II when there was a limit on what types of materials you could use to produce the toys. So, you know, they, it was the big scrapping movement, right. so you can't use any metal. Um, and Lionel f famously um, made a, a cardboard train <gasps> that was, like, apparently infuriating to put together, so it was really not popular. But some, um, some manufacturers just had a, you know, they had a notice, like, these are the toys we won't be manufacturing during wartime because we're supporting the war effort. Um, paper dolls made it big then, a lot of board games, because it's made out of cardboard. What about wooden toys? Yes, wooden toys, um, yep, yeah, made a big comeback too. Um, puzzles were really big, um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's, and then it shows, um, then you get later on, it's, it's showing, in, you know, the in, in influx of the electronic game and toys and sort of the, and now the more recent issues you look at, it's everything like, you know, all these toys that you need to buy so that your baby has success later. So there's all these educational toys, like you get all of these toys because they need to be a genius by the time they get into kindergarten. <laughs> so it really shows the, you know, how things were marketed, the different priorities we had in America for, um, for what we were buying for our children. Um, it did a lot of industry surveys, like what the 1960s housewife wants to buy for her kids for Christmas and what her budget is. And um, so it's really just a huge, it's a hundred year picture of the toy industry in America. So we were talking earlier about your makerspace. Mm -hmm. And as you're talking about the change in toy manufacturing, to take into account the difference materials. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that there's older toys that people could be making in your makerspace. That's true, and, and it's funny that you bring that up because we had talked about this last night. Um, one of the things we were doing to get people to come in to the makerspace was putting out new old tech. So we started with an Apple II, and then we, um, then we put out the 386 computer running Windows 3.1, and then we put out the Commodore 64. People were gushing about the Commodore 64. It was mine from when I was a kid. It has, I had the five and a quarter inch floppy drive with my old games that my friends, uh, what's the statute of limitations on piracy? Um, had, had, no, 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 I think what you, what you had were archived. They're archived, yes, archived. they're archived. Um, so, so I had those games that I played when I was a kid um, and I was amazed at the, the discs actually still held their mag, they were still magnetized. And we had people say, I think I still have some five and a quarters at home. Can I bring them in? And they brought them in and they were playing. One guy was programming on it. And then we had, and then believe it or not, the circuit board on that had a glass fuse. And the fuse blew. <laughs> so we took it apart, got a new fuse, put it back together. And I must not have put it back together right because the keys weren't working right. Yeah. But because it's me, I just so happen to have another one. <laughs> that was the second gen where they made them look like they were white with white keyboards. And we put that out there and I was out there a good seven, eight months. And when we finally took it away, we put it, people were upset. But then they're like, but wait, that's an Atari 2600. So we put an Atari 2600 out there and people were donating games. 
we have these games, we don't have the system anymore, we don't know what to do with them, we want the library to, you know, can we come and play with them? And at one point we had people that were in a line to play the game. Wow. So that's why when I walked into the museum, yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, that's it's part of the appeal is, um, and I mentioned this before, it's the um, nostalgia, and it could be nostalgia for somebody who's 20, somebody who's 30, somebody who's 40, 50, 60, 70, um, because we're documenting the entire history of, of play and dolls and toys and games. It's, we all played with something. We all had childhoods, or <laughs> as close right. to childhoods as we, we, we all hope that we have a very nice childhood. Yes. But, so there's a, there's something for everybody. You could walk in and see, um, you know, you could be with your grandparents, your parents, and you know your kids, and you're all going to see something and have a trip down memory lane. I played with that. I rode on that kind of sled. I had that wagon. Um, I had that Shira figure, which is Shira. Wow. Shira's up there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I need to to go soon, but okay. I just want to mention in the exhibit hall, and I don't remember which. Uh, Nyla Roundtable it, it is, but they had a deconstructing. That was MSRT. Yeah. Yeah, Makerspace Roundtable. Yeah. Yes. So they were, so they had the tools, and you could just pull things apart, which yeah. I think is an awesome. You know, you're talking about um, switching out um, the, transistors, the fuses. The yeah, fuses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of that kind of deconstructing. And how does it work? And then can you put it back together again, mm -hmm. which you failed at? <laughs> yes. I think they call those breaker spaces, right? Instead of yes. breaker space, mm -hmm. breaker spaces. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming in, Joe. And joining us, Carl. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Carl Govea. I'm the library director at the Seymour Library in Brockport, New York. Um, I'm a speaker today. I'm going to be in, in about 20 minutes. <laughs> I have a uh, talk on fundraising beyond book sales for oh, nice. friends groups. Very cool. That'd be interesting. So, tell us about your library. Um, Seymour Library is, um, if you're unfamiliar with Brockport, New York, it's a beautiful little village on the Erie Canal. And our library um, serves three small communities. So the three communities of the town of Clarkson, the village of Brockport, and the town of Sweden pool their resources and their money to uh, have a very nice facility, very nice library. Uh, we're just under uh, 20,000 square feet. Uh, a very well-used library with these three communities supporting it. That's great. Yeah. How many, um, how, what's this approximate square footage of your building? Um, just under 20,000 square feet. 20,000, yeah, okay. And, and in the community of, uh, uh, as a whole, we serve 20,911 uh, uh, residents within those three communities. And SUNY Brockport's there too, right? SUNY Brockport is also uh, present within the, uh, the village itself. Very cool. You want to give us maybe a little preview of what you're going sure. to talk about today? Sure. Because so, it's fascinating to me because it, it, down at Sachem Library, we have a friends uh, group, and it amazes me how much money they raise every year mm -hmm. from book sales and, and bake sales and all the stuff that they do. So tell us, without giving away too much, yes. don't worry, this isn't coming out for two weeks. <laughs> I'm not stealing your thunder. I, I, the big secret is the answer is always yes. When people come to you with ideas for a fundraiser, when they come to you with ideas, just in general, it's yes. It might be yes and or a yes but, but the answer is yes. Um, a lot of the fundraisers we've done beyond book sales have not been generated by myself. It's been generated by other people who've come to the library and said, hey, look, I think 
um, I was at another library, and they do a fabric and yarn sale each year. I think it'd be great for the library to do that. So I said, yes. I'd go and, spend some money there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, 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 makes a, it makes a decent amount of money for our, our little community. Yeah. So I, um, when, the, when she came to me, I said, yes, and I'd like you to spearhead it. And that's the other thing. That's the other secret. When people come to you with ideas, I have limited resources. I have limited time. Um, I, my friends, you know, as any volunteer organization will tell you, they have a hard time bringing in those volunteers. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming with, to me with an idea, I'm going to say yes, and I want you to spearhead it. I want you to do it. So that's what I told her. I'd like you to take, this, uh, take the lead on this then. And she sat there and looked at me for a minute because I don't <laughs> think she was expecting that. And then she said yes. Yeah. Um, and the first year there was growing pains in, in the fabric sale. But basically what we did was, it happens right after the book sale. We have limited space for the, all the books that people donate for our sale. Um, so we waited till uh, our, book, our spring book sale is in April. So we waited until right after the book sale and then we started collecting fabrics. Uh, we asked people to donate the fabric. Uh, they donated patterns, skeins of yarn, bolts of fabric, somebody donated a, um, a body form, um, just so many different items for this fabric and yarn sale. The friends helped the, uh, the individual with running it, advertising, doing everything that was necessary. The one thing she ran out of time on was pricing it. So she did a pay what, pay what you thought the items were worth kind of model. Um, and it worked somewhat. But she felt that there were individuals who weren't paying as much as they should have for what they were taking out of there. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, we did raise a, a good sum of money. It was a one-day sale, and we were able to raise about, I want to say, it, it, was, it was roughly about twelve to uh, $1,400 on this one-day sale. The uh, next year, she had been kind of burned out by the whole thing. It was mm -hmm. a lot of work on her. So she said she wasn't sure if she was up to it. And we had just had a couple move into our community. They were retirees. She had worked at a, a, a library up, I think, in Adirondacks. And she wanted to be involved in her library. One of the reasons why she moved to her community was because of how beautiful it was. There was a lot of stuff to do within walking distance um, and the library. She said that to me. One of the reasons we came here was because of this library. So she had started volunteering for us, and I knew her and her husband both were involved in fiber arts. Mm -hmm. She had started a spinning group at the library. Uh, they knit. He, 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 he knits as well. He gave all the staff scarves for Christmas. <laughs> so I, I asked um, the original volunteer who had brought it up, I asked Sue, I said, is it all right if we got you a co-chair to help you? with the fabric sale and she instantly said yes definitely because I didn't want to step on her feet and right. approach Kathy first so then I went to Kathy and I asked her would you be willing to help us with this the work with Sue on this project and she instantly jumped at the chance which was great and then now we had somebody who was knowledgeable in all these fi fabrics and fiber patents and patterns and all these things that I, 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 don't, even, I don't know much about and she came through 
every day and collected the donations, went to other locations, because we, we had multiple donation locations. Each of the three municipalities had a bin to collect donations, and we had a couple of fabric stores within the village of Brockport and within the town of Hamlin that also had collection bins. So she went and, and collected all those items, priced everything, and in the end, we didn't raise as much as we did last time, but it was still a success. We raised uh, about $1,000. Nice. Uh, just a little bit over $1,000, which is a great for a one-day event. Our book sales, which um, start Wednesday evening and ends uh, Saturday. So it's, a, it's about, you know, two and uh, two, actually, it would be two two-day, full days, and then there's, you know, um, two half days. Right. We end up raising about 2400 in a four-day book sale. Yeah. And to get 1000 in a one-day sale was, is in my mind, still a success. Yeah. So we're, our plan is to continue with it. Um, Good, because I, I have um, some stuff I need to donate. Oh, perfect, I have perfect. A, a lot of sewing materials. <laughs> you, know, you know, speaking with Kathy, our fear is each year what will be donated. If yeah. we have a year where... It's, it's a struggle to get donations. What we'll probably do is you know, take a one or two year hiatus yep. to let people yeah. build up, build up their, their <laughs> yeah, because you know you never know when a family member is gonna unload a lot of their yes. <laughs> sewing and knitting materials on you. It yeah. could happen at any time. It, it can, it can. <laughs> and that's why we just have that donation period. Yeah. We apologize if people wanna donate before then, but we just don't have the storage within right. the library for a lot of that stuff. Yes. Um, another fundraiser we're going to be talking about as well is um, our chair auction. Tell um, me about that. This is interesting. Yeah, it you, was, get, you really have me going now. Yeah, so what we did was um, Donna Mancuso, who's on our library's foundation, she approached and said she had this idea. And once again, she spearheaded it, worked it, and did all the work. And there was a lot of work involved. But basically, what she did was she asked local artists, local celebrities, and by celebrities I mean, you know, uh, individuals who are known within the community because um, it is a small small community we live in and then also staff members myself and a couple of the library staff to decorate paint a chair and donate it and then what they did was they took all these beautiful chairs and in, in my presentation today I have I have images of the the variety of chairs they each person selected a book that they paired it with as well mm. so the the this this fundraiser was called sit right down and read and we were able to get uh an individual who lives in the community who's also well known to be our auctioneer and he did a phenomenal job mike schaefer i mean he loved it and you could see he was really enjoying doing this 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 auction and in the end i have it written oh i think i have it written down here i want to say we raised about 24 24 dollars at wow. this at this event um, it, it, w it was great. The one, one of the big takeaways we took from it, though, was because we're such a small community, and there were a couple of chairs that really garnered a lot of interest. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't raise as much money as they should because we heard later on, I saw so-and-so bidding on that chair, and I didn't want to overbid her. So they were being too polite. Wow. Too nice to each other. This auction. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, hopefully next time we do something like this, and we have a couple ideas. Mike Schaefer, like I said, he was the auctioneer and loved it. 
he said he was down in Florida because he's a um, um, snowbird. Mm-hmm. And he said when he was down in Florida, he saw an auction just like this but with paintings. And once again, it was local artists and celebrities who painted a painting. And uh, I think each person was given a certain size canvas. And then they auction those off. So that might be something that we'll look at yeah. doing in the in the future. That is incredible. And as you're saying that, my my mind is going now. Yeah. Like, oh, we took Adirondack chairs, and like mm-hmm. we did if Stephen King, mm-hmm. and each slide of the chair would be a different one of his books. Like you know, maybe with a logo on there or something. I'm sorry, Stephen <laughs> King, we're not stealing your stuff. <laughs> but you know, just something along that lines. If you're you know, you love Debbie McComer. And we did like her top best-selling novels, and, and painting like an Adirondack chair like that, or maybe you, you're making my mind spin right now. And so. there's so much different. You know, when last summer we went to Cape Cod, my my family and I, and in front of the I'm trying to remember the name of the town. In front of the library there, the Chamber of Commerce, they had these long, you know, like wooden placards of great whites. <laughs> That they were auctioning it off, and then this was a whole production. They each each of these actually had GPS on the back, so people could walk by and see it, but not steal it, so that they could protect these items. And then there was also actually a website that you could go to and bid on these items. So I went to the the, the website, and they were some of these were garnering a lot of attention. Now this, of course, was a rich community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they could afford to pay a thousand dollars for one of these great white shark placards but it was it was really cool to see and i said if we had the infrastructure for something like that you know if you have a very well-funded foundation like our foundation is more of a mom and pop foundation Mm -hmm. but if you have a foundation with um paid staff and that has that kind of infrastructure you could do a really amazing auction Mm mm-hmm such a great idea. I'm going to apologize. I feel like I haven't been on the microphone for very long, but you have to my, go. Yeah, my my uh, workshop. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't have any last night. And we're just swapping business cards because <laughs> uh, we'd love to have you on again and talk more about this and about Definitely. Rockport and and all that great stuff. But thank you so well, thank much you for so stopping much. by. This is thank great. You. Definitely. And have we have more day. toys to talk about. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I can talk for a little <laughs> yeah. bit longer. About I toys. love toys. And, you know, I love going there. Just yeah. real big plug. You know board gaming and all that stuff it's it's fantastic video games so you know my family and i we have a uh, a membership to the nice. museum and i just really love going there you guys do yeah. a great job and i love the fact that when we go we can see everything that you have there plus the books plus you the know, books yes you know, we're in different sections and we can get books geared towards that um um the th- exhibit theme, theme. Yes. yes. I'll so, talk about you know, that, that is really yeah. cool stuff. And, yeah. we, you know, a lot of times we walk out with a, an armload of books, which is, is just yeah. amazing. But have a good day. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for coming Thank in, Carl. So what he was talking about, mm-hmm. so I'm the, my official title is Director of Libraries, plural. So we have the Research Library and Archives that I was just talking about. And then what Carl was talking about is we have a um, mini branch of the public library. In wow, the really? Museum. So um, the 2019 is our 20th anniversary of, of having it. It's a partnership with Rochester Public Library. Um, so within each of the exhibits, I have um, bookcases that have um, children's books up through YA, some adult, um, themed to the exhibit. So my in the Sesame Street exhibit, I have a lot of you know books about the seasons, your first day of school, um, 
you know, counting, you know, alphabets, just things that you would see when you turn on Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. um, the Wegmans exhibit, um, Wegmans Super Kids. There's um, cookbooks, you know, um, cooking with your family, you know, fun books about food, and um, and then in you know the fairy tale forest and reading Adventureland, we have all our fairy tale books. So. Um, it's each each exhibit is a little different and you can check out the books with your Monroe County Library System card if you are a museum member but don't live in Monroe County we can give you a special card um, it only let you lets you check out books from our location but you can return our books to any Monroe County Library branch and um, yeah it's a really great um, added benefit for our members in the in our guests and that, that's a really interesting extra component, too. I didn't even know you had that. Yes. And that is the end of part two of this episode at the New York Library Association Conference. Thank you to Carl Guevara and to Jill Hurst-Wall for coming on and taking some time out of the conference to speak with us. I uh, hope to have them both on again soon. And if you continue on to part three, we continue our conversation with Beth Lathrop, who tells amazing stories about working at the Strong uh, National Museum of Play. So check out um, part three of this episode. Thanks for listening.